Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 24th, 2018 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by SquadQL. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair. And my co-host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HRR5010. Hassan, what's up? Hey, it's, uh, you know, it's the feels like it's uh, getting to re- real football season. It's uh, finally a little bit cooler than it has been over the last few weeks, so that's pretty nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, the leaves are starting to turn slowly. How about yourself, Blair? Yeah, can't complain. Kind of a mixed week in, uh, you know, fantasy for me. Some teams are doing well and some are doing really very bad. But, uh, yeah, like you said, the weather's starting to turn. It's a, it's a fun time to be a football fan. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to get into the news today with our guest. Joining us today on the show is Greg Smith. Greg is the co-founder of 2QBs.com. He's the creator of Gameflowbotics and a consultant for Draft Day Consultants. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Greg, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Yeah, things are good. Uh, kind of like you said, I feel like I, I could gripe about a lot of things. You know, it's a, it's a mixed bag every week when we play in as many leagues as we do. So you can always find something to complain about, even if it's just like the green zone on NBC as we watch <laughs> Sunday Night Football. But um, yeah, no, happy to be here. I'm super excited to get into this stuff with you guys. Absolutely. Let's jump right in. Uh, the first big news item, Jimmy Garoppolo was carted to the locker room with a knee injury late in the fourth quarter, week three against the Chiefs. Uh, he finished the day with 251 yards and two scores. Kyle Shanahan says the team fears Garoppolo has torn his ACL. So, Greg, this is obviously a huge blow for the 49ers offense. And, you know, of course, we wish Garoppolo uh, the best in a speedy recovery. Hope he gets back to full health. Um, what do you think that his absence does to the 49ers offense and specifically to the receivers? I mean, can we first talk about C.J. Beathard and how he might be able to help some fantasy owners in two QB leagues? Like, I wouldn't be repping my brand if we didn't, my hashtag brand. <laughs> um, I mean, for those of us or, or those of you listening who drafted Tyrod Taylor or Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota or any of those other disappointing quarterbacks that are out there, Beathard does present kind of an interesting opportunity. He's not a great passer, but he's a very good runner. Uh, Last season, he posted 5.23 yards per carry, averaged 22.7 yards per game on the ground. Those numbers put him in the Konami code conversation with known running threats like Mariota, like Tyrod, like Dak Prescott, like Alex Smith. So I think that he's going to be a nice waiver wire add there. So now that you've let me get that out of the way, I'll answer your actual question. Um, (laughs) I think Marquise Goodwin takes the most significant value hit. If you look at your guys, uh, Rotoviz, Game Splits app, the the numbers for Goodwin are not good when Beathard is in there. Uh, he averaged about two fewer targets per game when Beathard played last year. And looking at the other small sample size splits for other Niners receivers with Beathard, it doesn't get much better. Like Garcon looks worse. The tight ends look worse. And it makes sense. Like Beathard isn't a good quarterback. If you look at his yards per attempt, his adjusted yards per attempt, adjusted net yards per attempt, like whatever efficiency metric you want to use, uh, Beathard was terrible. He's, he's just not a very good passer. Um, so him going under center is a bad thing for all his wide receivers. I think the tight ends might be a little bit more of a value, value neutral move, if only because tight ends tend to run shorter routes. They tend to draw easier coverage from defenses than wide receivers do. Um, I think Matt Breida is probably the only guy who could be a big beneficiary here. Uh, But again, that kind of assumes that he can hold up for the entire season. And he got dinged up for a period of time in today's game. So 
if that continues to happen, like who knows before how long it'll be before he just gets a real injury and, and misses a bunch of time. Like I think a lot of people have expressed that concern with Prita. Um, where are you guys at on this? Cause I, I in general, I think this is just terrible for the Niners all over the place. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is just, uh, we're going back to CJ Beathard. We know he heavily targets his running backs. So we saw that when, I mean, he fed Carlos Hyde the rock just on checkdowns uh, because he's got this horrible pocket awareness. And uh, the second they moved over to Jimmy Garoppolo, you're seeing uh, kind of the, the vision that Kyle Shanahan had of this offense going forward. You had those deep shots of Goodwin. Maybe Pierre Garçon and his, uh, you know, shallow depth of target meshes kind of okay with what Beathard does. But at the end of the day, this is, as you mentioned, just a net neutral, just a supreme downgrade for this entire offense. They're not going to be able to sustain drives. They're not going to be able to rack up the first downs. And it's going to look a lot more like what they did last year. This is a very talent deficient <laughs> receiver core. You know, Garçon, Goodwin uh Kettle, these guys are guys that really require someone like Garoppolo under center to bring out their true fantasy value whereas someone like Beathard might not even be able to support any one of those guys where you at with that Blair yeah uh I mean I would think it's a downgrade for almost everyone the only person I would maybe think could kind of sustain value would be Brita for all the reasons you mentioned uh, you know, on the other hand, I mean, Garoppolo hasn't really looked that good this year. Uh, you know, so for Beathard, he's probably a downgrade, but is he that much of a downgrade from 2018 Garoppolo? Um, maybe not. Uh, so, you know, I don't expect the offense to be as good under Beathard. I, of course, I expected them to be a lot better with Garoppolo, so... Uh, it might not be a huge difference from what we've seen already. Uh, you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And like what you said, Greg, about Beathard being a, you know, a good candidate if you, if you need QB help, I think that's a really great point. I could really use him in Scott Fishbowl right now. Of course, I think I already spent all my fab, so probably won't get him. <laughs> yeah, I think the other big concern here is that the Niners defense is really bad. It's just, they're not going to set up good game scripts for Beathard. He's going to be put into predictable situations. Like the defenses are going to know when he has to throw. And as a player who's not a good passer, that's not good. Uh, with Garoppolo, you're right. He hadn't been great this season, but at the same time, he's competent enough to, even when the team, when the opposing team knows he's going to throw, can still succeed in spite of that. Whereas I don't, I'm not sure Beathard can do that. Good point. Evan Ingram suffered a knee injury in Week 3 against the Texans. Ingram had one catch for 19 yards before leaving and caught all seven of his Week 2 targets for 67 yards and a touchdown. Greg, Ingram is the latest victim in a season that's already seen multiple highly drafted TEs lost to injury. What does his injury mean for the Giants' offense, and who do you expect? Uh, where do you expect his targets will end up going, going if he has to miss extended time? I think today's game showed us where the targets are going to go. We're going to see more work heaped on Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, and Saquon Barkley. And I think the primary beneficiary is Shepard, but it's not like Cody Latimer and Rhett Ellison are going to do anything besides pick up maybe some occasional opportunistic targets. Because if the Giants are trying to feature Latimer or Ellison in the offense, they're really, they're doing it wrong. Pat Shermer should know better. He should know who butters his bread in this offense. And, 
I think, you know, a more predictable target distribution in the offense would seem helpful to fantasy owners. Like it would be good if we knew that, you know, more targets were going to Beckham and Shepard. But I think that makes it tougher on Eli Manning, you know, on the whole, just kind of like what we were just talking about with Beathard. You know, it's like if the defense knows what the offense wants to do, that's not good. Like you want to be able to keep the defense on their toes. And if there are fewer weapons for Eli Manning to engage, like that's a problem. I, I think... I, ultimately, though, I don't think Ingram's injury drastically shifts the outlook of this offense because they probably didn't have enough targets to go around for all the receivers they had in the first place. I and mean, you just look at weeks one and two when Shepard and Ingram were already kind of scrapping and fighting each other for targets. I think in in one of the weeks, one of them had five targets, the other had seven. And then in this, the following week, it flipped like the other guy got seven and the, the first one got five. So now we should see more steady target you know, volume for Shepard, which is a good thing. Um, but if the defense knows those targets are coming, maybe that's not good on the whole. So like more volume, less efficiency. I, I think that's kind of what you can come to expect. But with Shepard, who was already a guy who you really only wanted for volume in the first place, uh, you know, now he's had, he has more TD upside. I think that this is a, a pretty big boost for him if Ingram misses any amount of significant time. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Shepard was already, like you said, kind of getting squeezed out. Uh, just because of how many, you know, so few targets they had. I mean, the game today was a little weird with Manning completing 25 of 29 passes. You know, I mm-hmm. think he'll probably end up having to throw more than that uh, and not be so efficient. So um, there will probably be, you know, more targets to go around than we saw today. But, yeah, like you said, I think with if Ingram does miss time, you'll probably see this, you know, the target share kind of, a lot more concentrated between Beckham and Shepard and Barkley, which, you know, in a way could be helpful if you can if you can predict where those targets are going, you can, you know, have more confidence in those guys. So yeah, pretty much exactly what you said I agree with. Yeah, I mean with Barkley, this the guy is just getting peppered for targets last week he led the team in terms of uh, of raw target opportunity and even today he saw a pretty healthy chunk of targets. And if we're seeing Eli Manning just be that check down Charlie and he's found that safety blanket in Barkley, he's definitely going to live up to that lofty first round ADP that he had all summer. And if you have him in a PPR league, you should be very, very happy about the uh, production you're getting from Barkley. Another potential bonus for Barkley here is that Ingram wasn't really known as a good blocker. And if the Giants have to run out more traditional tight ends, that could help him in the running game, I think. I'll be interested to see how that plays out over the next few weeks. Do you think that the Giants might try to run more with, with Engram out? If they have like a competent blocker on the field more often, they might uh, shift more toward the run? I think that makes sense. Whether or not they do it is another question. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a play caller. I, I don't know how these guys think necessarily. I, I, I'd like to think I did, but, you know, if I really could parse that stuff out week to week, I think I'd be better at fantasy football. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Before we get into no shit, shit, no, I want to take a quick moment to remind you that you can support the Rotoviz Radio Network and our 10 shows per week on Patreon. By doing so, you'll gain exclusive access to Rotoviz Live, our weekly Sunday morning video show answering all your fantasy questions. Patronships start at just $6 a month and provide exclusive access to Rotoviz Live. That's four shows per month on top of 40 podcasts for just $6. 
Become a Rotoviz Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high-quality, industry-leading programming. Yeah, and speaking of those exclusives, as a loyal podcast listener, you can get a 30% off your Rotoviz NFL Pass right now. It's available to the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. You get amazing value. You help support the pod. Once again, that's rotaviz.com slash podcast. All right, now let's get into no shit, shit, no. First item up, Blake Bortles went 20 of 33 passing for 158 yards and rushed five times for 27 yards in the Jaguars' week three loss to the Titans. No shit. Blake Bortles isn't good. Apologies to Jason Mendoza. (laughs) Deshaun Watson completed 24 of 40 passes for 385 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception in the Texans' week three loss to the Giants. No shit. He's not a particularly accurate passer, but he makes up for what Watson does with a high volume of downfield throws. That's, you know, a recipe for high yardage totals on bad completion percentage and having DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller to throw to certainly helps. Christian McCaffrey rushed 28 times for 184 yards and caught two of two targets for 10 yards in the Panthers week three win over the Bengals. Uh, no shit. Uh, McCaffrey is good. Uh, Nor Turner likes to feature his running back. I think this might have been a little surprising to some people because Cincinnati had DVOA's seventh best defense against the run through two weeks. But I think those stats were built on facing, you know, rushing a verse Indy and a Baltimore team that was kind of game scripted into abandoning the run a couple weeks ago. Um, and meanwhile, Carolina is, is built to run like that's when you have Cam Newton, it makes sense to involve the running back in a heavy way. And, and they played to that strength today. I think it made, made a lot of sense that McCaffrey was featured and, and had a big game. Should we kind of expect to see his target totals like fluctuate this much, like 16 one week to the next week or? Do you think we'll see more consistent uh, passing game work from him going forward? Yeah, actually, that is that was surprising to me. I thought that he was going to get a ton of targets today, uh, given the matchup. Um, but I, I, yeah, I would expect more steady production in that way, uh, more consistent targets. Only two was strange. I, I don't know why that happened necessarily, but I didn't get a chance to watch that game yet, so I don't know exactly. Maybe they were. You know, maybe the Bengals were actually scheming to take him out of the passing game and, and forcing, you know, Funches and whoever else to beat them. I'm not sure. Did you guys see that game by chance? I have not had a chance, unfortunately. Or did you? No, I didn't. Um, but yeah, I was expecting a lot more, a lot more passes to McCaffrey. I know, you know, the Bengals get beat a lot by pass catching running backs and tight ends in the middle of the field. So it was really weird to see him not get those targets. So yeah, I can only assume. Something was going on with the Bengals, D? I don't know. No idea. Yeah, the Bengals had allowed the second most adjusted targets per game to running backs entering week two, I think with 13.0. And McCaffrey had been leading the NFL in running back targets. So it's very strange that he only saw two there. That was Something was probably up. That, that's, that's weird. Josh Allen completed 15 of 22 passes for 196 yards and one touchdown, adding 10 carries for 39 yards and two touchdowns on the ground in the Bills' week three victory over the Vikings. Uh, shit no on the passing production, but no shit on the rushing production. A- Allen is a really good athlete, and Brian Dable's offense is going to play to Allen's strength as a rusher. Uh, if you want to read more about that, I'm going to throw in a plug here, uh, more about Allen as a designed runner in the Bills scheme. Uh, I recommend reading Derek Klassen's Finding the Fit article for Josh Allen uh, that we posted at 2QBs.com on July 25th. 
And while you're at it, you might as well check out Chris Allen's uh, article on Allen as well from uh, the day before. So Chris Allen's article on Josh Allen on July 24th <laughs> at 2QBs.com. But, yeah, uh, the rushing production is legit. Um, they're going to keep using him like that, I think. And that's going to give him some sneaky value in fantasy. And what do you think about the Bills' week three victory over the Vikings? Oh, man. I mean, out of nowhere, for sure. I, I don't think anybody saw that coming, right? I, I mean, did you guys have any idea? Like, I, I can understand if you thought that the Bills were going to cover the you know 17-point spread or whatever it was. But in terms of expecting them to win outright, like, the Vikings just fell asleep. There's there's no excuse for, for losing to this team. Yeah, I read somewhere, I think it was like the biggest upset in the NFL in 23 years or something. Sounds Crazy. right. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, picked the Vikings in both my eliminator pools. Uh, Oof. I meant to go in and change it to the Jaguars, and I didn't. And I didn't matter because I would have been eliminated in either yeah. case. <laughs> TJ Yeldon rushed seven times for 44 yards and caught six of seven targets for 46 yards in the Jaguars' Week 3 loss to Tennessee. No shit. I, Yeldon isn't really an elite talent. I think we knew he was a little dinged up entering this week if you watched the, the practice reports and the, and the reports this morning. Uh, so I think fading a big workload was the right call. Um, and it makes sense that he, he was used more as a receiver because, the, you know, those targets are a little easier to scheme and, and going to keep him healthy in that way. Um, but I think this is kind of what we can expect from him. And it sounds like Fournette will be back eventually. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I know Corey Grant started this game. I was really hoping to see a lot more from him. Uh, were you surprised they kind of went back to Yeldon, or is this was that expected? Um, I mean, considering the way Grant played, I think he only caught one pass for negative yardage. He only yeah. rushed the ball six times, like for less than two yards per carry. Like he didn't look good, so it makes sense that they went back to Yeldon. Um, I actually started Grant in Scott Fishbowl, and so that 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 might end <laughs> up coming back to bite me. Because uh, as I was with you, I, I wanted him to get some more work. Um, I think he's a good player. And and Yeldon's a, f- a fine player. I just don't think he's a great one. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's Those divisional games are always a little wonky, especially when you have such a like Jekyll and Hyde player like Blake Bortles under center. I don't really... I don't really want to have any part of that backfield going forward just because it seems like it's going to be a mess. Do you guys agree or disagree? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I actually sat uh, Leonard. I actually sat Carlos Hyde in a league because I was like, hey, Leonard Fournette's going to be just fine, and he's a late scratch. So I started Philip Lindsay, who got himself ejected for throwing a punch. <laughs> so it was just, it's been a great, great day, uh, as you can tell. But yeah, this is going to be a very, very convoluted backfield going forward, especially if they're trying to manage uh, Fournette's hammy. Well, yeah, on top of the fact that you he, you you read this stuff about how, or I mean, you see it on the field, I guess, with the Jags playing so much different when Fournette isn't available to them. Like they spread it out mm-hmm. a little bit more, they put a little bit more more up tempo. And I don't know if this matchup against Tennessee just wasn't conducive to that, but it was surprising to see them find so much success with that type of play last week and fall so flat on their face today against Tennessee. Like I, I just don't get it. They're just such a, and I think it all just comes down to Bortles. Like I just don't think he's good and. You know, when he gets lucky, uh, it's going to work out for some of those those players on his team. But the rest of the time, it's going to be maddening. And I, I just I, I just don't want to deal with that shit. Hey, that's what best ball is for, right? Yep, exactly. 
Latavius Murray rushed two times for one yard and added five catches for 30 receiving yards in the Vikings' Week 3 loss to the Bills. Shit, no, I did not see this coming. We've kind of touched on this before. I expected Murray to get so much work that the Vikings would eventually have to ease up and start handing off to, like, Michael Boone and Rock Thomas and C.J. Ham. Like, I thought this game was going to get out of hand, and it did, just in the complete opposite direction. I, it's This was flabbergasting. I don't really know what else to say about it. Yeah, I actually, you know, on the forums and in an article I got, I published this morning, I actually recommended fading Murray on DraftKings, but it was because I thought he would end up getting like 15 carries and two targets mm-hmm. or something and not actually be that good of a, a DraftKings play where it's full PPR. Uh, so <laughs> this was surprising to me, uh, you know, for a totally different reason that he's getting these five catches. I think he had, what, seven targets or something, so... It a lot of those, out, but for the wrong reason. Yeah, a lot of those cheap running back plays this week didn't really work out. Like Yeldon, Corey Clement, Latavius Murray. Like it was a much better week seemingly to be back on the the high price guys and maybe like Travis Kelsey. Although or not Travis Kelsey, excuse me, Kareem Hunt. You know, aiming for that touchdown regression. But yeah, it is is wonky, man. The the chalk did not get there. Yeah, it was uh, quite a surprise. Like. Like you, I was expecting like Rock Thomas and Mike Boone and Kyle Slaughter, just guys who we played in preseason DFS. I was like, oh, this is great. Like, it's like old times. Nope, 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 nope. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick Mahomes completed 24 of 38 passes for 314 yards and three touchdowns in the Chiefs' week three win over the 49ers. No shit. He's a top five quarterback in this offense, maybe top three, top two, especially against bad defenses like the Niners. I... I don't know what else he has to do to to prove it. Like I, I had um, John Proctor on the two QB experience podcast earlier this week. And I asked him is like, if you got offered, you know, in magical Christmas land, a, a, a straight up trade of any quarterback for Pat Mahomes, which one would you say yes for? And I was expecting him to throw out like, you know, the, the three big names that you would, you expect to hear, you know, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, but he said none. He's like, I don't want any of those guys. And I was like, well, uh, I'm not sure, like maybe. And he was right. Like there's really no Mm -hmm. reason to think that Patrick Mahomes can't keep this up. Like his weapons are amazing. He's super talented. And God, does he, does he look good? And does he look older than what he, than, than his actual age? It's, it's crazy. Like some of the plays he made, like that one where he did like that serpentine evasion of the Mm -hmm. Niners pass rush. And then through that sidearm pass, like that was incredible. Like, I don't, I don't know how you, you definitely can't teach that type of instinct and that sort of stuff makes him super exciting. Like, I know this is, I'm just waxing poetic here about Patrick Mahomes, but he is awesome, dude. I don't think there's any reason to doubt him going forward. Yeah. I really want Mahomes to stay healthy kind of because Watson was like Mahomes before Mahomes. Uh, It's just I'm with you. Like he, what he ran, he ran back like what 30 yards before he was credited with that five-yard touchdown strike to Chris Conley. Like that's a that's a five-yard touchdown strike, but really he just like he flung that ball and he just he threaded the needle. He created those windows, and and the one thing that's like wild is how young he is. You know, like people. Part of the reason why Mayfield ended up transferring from Texas Tech was because Cliff Kingsbury ended up recruiting Patrick Mahomes and Mahomes put up these gaudy totals in the offense for two years with his best receiver was Kiki QT and 
then he left for the pros, right? And when he left for the pros, when you're looking at the regression, that offense underwent. It went from, like, an offense that put up just video game numbers, like 6,000 yards a season to, like, 3,000 yards. That's where you know <laughs> it's still a very potent offense with a good quarterback that just is not NFL caliber. But Mahomes has got, you know, like you said, like, man, this this kid just, I hope he stays healthy. I own him in exactly one league, and it's a one-quarterback league, and no one is getting him. unless You, like, you can offer me Odell Beckham Jr. You're just not getting Mahomes. <laughs> I want, I'm going to own this kid. No, I, I want the, I want to enjoy this moment. If it's if it's dynasty, I I could kind of see it, but I yeah, don't know, man. In this, okay, there you go. I was gonna say if yeah. it's if it's redraft and someone's offering you oh, like yeah. running backs or wide receivers of of high tier, I think I think you still flip Mahomes because quarterback is so easy to replace, especially one QB. But yeah, in dynasty, maybe that's a different story. As some of it's just me here, just because it's like a really just a fun dime right now. I you know if someone really is gonna offer me Odell, I would definitely say yes. I just can't see myself trading him for another quarterback are there any matchups for Mahomes on the schedule going forward that you guys are worried about like he's at Denver in week four and then he gets Jacksonville at home like those are like Denver's definitely not the defense they used to be but Jacksonville could be pretty imposing like is there any way you would even consider benching Mahomes for that matchup at this point hmm it would depend I guess uh who else I had of course uh, I'm not going to bench him against Denver, I don't think. I mean, we saw Derek Carr have a very efficient game against Denver last year, last week in Denver. So I don't see why I, I should be worried about Mahomes. Home versus the Jaguars, I can absolutely see myself just sort of benching him. And then part of me like worries that like this is going to be where he just takes a flamethrower to that offense. Uh, you, you remember last year when Jimmy Garoppolo did that? to this team mm-hmm. and I'm just worried that they're going to be overexposed in the blitz and it's just going to be this 80 yard TD strike after 80 yard TD strike to like the fullback Anthony Sherman because apparently everyone on that team catches touchdowns yeah. <laughs> except Kareem Hunt but I mean you look at his schedule going forward and yeah, Jacksonville looks a little scary in week five. And then the worst matchups after that are probably Los Angeles, the the Rams in LA in week 11. And after that, it's what, maybe at Cleveland? Is, is Cleveland a defense we're afraid of? Like they're better this year, but no, like, I, I don't know. I don't really see any time where like, especially like in two quarterback formats, like Mahomes is a locked in QB one every week for me yeah. at this point. I'm not scared away by Jacksonville. I'm not scared away by the Rams. I think the team around him is so good. The way that they scheme to him and to his strengths is also so good that there's really no reason to fade him. And I, I mean, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if he does come back to earth because the defenses he's faced so far have been bad. Like Los Angeles yeah. chargers, like their defense has been crap. Pittsburgh's defense has been terrible. The San Francisco 49ers have a bad defense. So the next like two to four weeks, Denver, Jacksonville, uh, Cincinnati in week seven, their defense is okay. Like, I think we might get a better idea of exactly how good he is, but I, I still think the answer might be like top five good, top three good. And yeah. I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. So like New England is playing the Colts in week five. Would you bench Mahomes for Tom Brady? I probably would. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's the kind of like. I mean, you're definitely not gonna want to play Alex Smith or or when you know when they come back off their bye or whatever. I think that's the kind of caliber you need. Which in a one QB league and a super flex league, if you somehow, I mean, I guess in a one QB league, if you have Mahomes and Brady, you might want to do that flipping thing that Greg mentioned. You might want to trade one of them off, uh, trade one of them out for whatever you can get. But you know, in super flex, you're just gonna have to keep plugging them in. It's wild how when the season started, everyone was like, well, he's going to be a face a very difficult schedule to start. And he's just sort of shredded Los Angeles in Los Angeles. And even when you're looking at ahead to the playoffs, do any of these teams scare you? The Ravens and the Chargers at Kansas City or him going to Seattle? Yeah, the, I mean, to open the year, the Chargers defense just hasn't been as good as it was advertised to be. Same with Pittsburgh. Um, and so mm-hmm. getting the Chargers again in week 15, uh, maybe they're a little healthier than like if Joey Bosa's in, like maybe that's a scarier matchup at the time. But I don't know, like especially because that one's in Kansas City. I'm not worried about that. Uh, the Baltimore matchup, I mean, I think they looked like a good defense when they played Buffalo. And then, you know, Cincinnati tore mm-hmm. them to shreds. Uh, you know, their slot corner is a problem. Uh, we found out that again today. Uh, that was one of the one of my worst calls of the week was saying that Emmanuel Sanders was going to be bad against the Ravens because, <laughs> you know, they only have, you know, the two receivers there really with him and Demarius Thomas. But, you know, when you move his and when you put Emmanuel Sanders in the slot, it's not quite the same type of matchup. And, and that's that's exploitable. And I mean, whether it's Sammy Watkins there, whether it's Tyree Kill operating out of the slot, whether it's Travis Kelsey operating on those types of routes like. Mahomes is going to have options there uh, against Baltimore, and I don't know. I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about the schedule. Like I said, I think the worst ones on the schedule for him are Jacksonville Week Five, at the Rams in Week Eleven, and otherwise, I'm probably just mindlessly putting him into my lineup and just saying YOLO <laughs> every time. Yeah. What is the price that uh, he needs to get up? get up to on DraftKings or FanDuel where you're just going to fade him eventually. I mean, did he hit value at 8,900 in FanDuel this week? He was like price of the QB one on both sides, right? I think it was the QB Uh, two two on DraftKings, but yeah, on FanDuel, I think he was, he was leaps and bounds of QB one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to depend on the slate, right? Because this week I couldn't justify paying up for him because Drew Brees, was in a, you know, a matchup with just as good of a total and, mm-hmm. you know, in a dome against a bad defense. Like if you're going to pay up for Mahomes, I figured, you know, might as well just pay a little bit less and, and get Breeze in your lineup. And we haven't even seen, I guess this isn't main slate worthy, but we haven't seen what's going on with Fitzpatrick and Roethlisberger on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when there are other good, you know, values available at quarterback, like I'm not going to be paying up in DFS, but I mean, you're right. Like you, you can probably justify it a lot of the time. It's just, yeah. The baseline strategy with quarterbacks in daily fantasy is that you probably shouldn't be paying for them in the first place just because there's always going to be guys from the lower lower dollar amounts that, that hit value and exceed value. Adrian Peterson rushed 19 times for 120 yards and two touchdowns in the Redskins' Week 3 win over the Packers. Shit, no. Green Bay stinks against the run. They ranked 26th in run defense DVOA entering the week. And their defensive line ranks dead last or ranks dead last in adjusted line yards is probably going to get even worse uh, when Football Outsiders updates those numbers after this slate. Um, Although I I suppose I should say no shit on the usage for Peterson because it makes sense that Washington wanted to control the clock, uh, wanted to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field and wanted to exploit the matchup. Uh, I I just 
shit know this in terms of is this going to be repeatable for Peterson week after week? I don't think so. Cam Newton completed 15 of 24 passes for 150 yards and two touchdowns and rushed 10 times for 36 yards and two additional scores in the Panthers' 31-21 win over the Bengals in week three. No shit. This is like the most Cam Newton, Cam Newton line ever. I mean, doesn't he do this all the time? <laughs> Saquon Barkley rushed 17 times for 82 yards and a touchdown and caught five passes for 35 yards in week three against the Texans. Uh, no shit. He's really damn good. We talked about him earlier. I, I mean, are, are you guys surprised at this sort of production? I, I think we can kind of come to expect this going forward. And all the people who were talking about Saquon is, oh, you, it's too risky for a first round pick in redraft and whatnot. Like they're all going to get proven wrong just because the usage is there and because he's so talented. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just hoping for more more targets. But uh, yeah, like we said before, it was kind of a weird game with only 29 pass attempts. So hopefully they'll be coming uh you know definitely like to see him get the sort of girly 2016 dj and uh, Le'Veon bell sort of usage i mean he was already second in targets coming into the week right or i guess he's still second in targets he has 27 on the year that's behind only kamara as i'm looking at it yeah uh how yeah many i guess thompson, he, how many thompson only things? had two and mccaffrey only had two so they were they were up there but neither of them got any so but, I mean, how many more targets do you think he can get week to week? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I mean, the 16 or whatever he had last week is not a realistic number, of course. Um, <laughs> if I guess if, if Manning is attempting more like 35 passes, then 7 or 8 would be nice to see. That's a very robust number. I mean, that's, you know, that that kind of usage puts him... Very much so. If we were to redraft now, where would you guys be taking Barkley if we were to redraft a new league right now? I mean, third or fourth pick, maybe? You take Kamara, you... You can't really take DJ, so... Right. But you take Gurley, you take, take Barkley ahead of Zeke. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Sure. Big, like Melvin Gordon comes up there. Mm-hmm. I think Kareem Hunt still has a case, even though he hasn't been that great until this week. Um, although the way that they're using Spencer Ware is is a problem for for Hunt's value, I, I think I would take Barkley over him still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, third third pick. Yeah, third pick? pick. Third or fourth sounds right. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, especially considering he was like a consensus 107, 108. Mm-hmm. Like that's to, to still appreciate at that pricing is ridiculous. I mean, the real answer is probably that we should have been taking wide receivers. Like this has been a, a huge right. zero RB year for sure. Exactly. Like I, Michael Thomas might be up there. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, it, what's funny is like one of those dudes that you might have taken with that in mind, like if you took Odell Beckham as your zero RB target in the first round, like that, you, you're probably kicking yourself for not drafting Michael Thomas or, <laughs> I mean, and I, even DeAndre Hopkins, I, I mean, he had 10 targets today and we'll, we'll get to him, but I, I don't know, like does Michael Thomas deserve consideration over those guys at this point? I mean, it seems like he does. Without a doubt, I mean the fact that Michael Thomas was a consensus like mid second rounder is just think back on it. Like, wow, what a way to change in like what a month? A month? It, that's all it took for us to to quickly realize. Whoops, this, this is a yeah. mistake. I mean the thing is we've never seen you know this is getting off off topic a little, but we've never seen Breeze really target a guy one guy like this before. So this is kind of new territory for, uh, you know, a breeze wide receiver, but, 
yeah, definitely can't, you know, can't deny he's getting the volume. Are you guys worried about Cam Meredith coming back? I mean, he caught a touchdown today. I, we have to assume he's going to keep playing and keep seeing a little bit more usage. Do you worry about him chipping away at that Michael Thomas work share? It can Not only me. go down from here. I mean, it, he's at, what, 35%, 38%, something <laughs> exactly. just outside, just ridiculous. Really, uh, I think Ingram coming back, plus a little them working Cam Meredith in, maybe a little bit more trick one, might actually start taking the wind out of Michael Thomas's sails a little bit. But, you know, it's very difficult to project how this New Orleans Saints' defense will look going forward. And if they continue to just kind of be the shell of what they were in 2017 and resemble the defenses of 2015 and 2016, there'll be enough volume for Drew Brees to actually sustain this kind of production and Michael Thomas to sustain this kind of pace, even though he'll see that reduced uh, share. Uh, This is kind of something that I wrote about in the 32 for 32 series over on two QBs uh, regarding Drew Brees, uh, namely that, Last year, he was ultra-efficient. The volume just wasn't there for him. He was completing over 70% of his passes, and a significant chunk of his like, the touchdowns that New Orleans scored came via the ground, not through the air. That is starting to shift back to how it has been under this breeze-led offense, uh, you know, where they had to just sort of open the offense up more and just chase these gaudy point totals that other teams were dropping on whatever they referred to as a defense. And it's actually really fun watching Drew Brees doing that. And it's really fun having had noted that for 2QBs.com. Well, and I think you can look at what we've talked about, the fact that Meredith is getting involved, the fact that Mark Ingram is going to come back at some point, And you could start to talk yourself into them regressing back towards that run heavier script. And maybe that's a reason to get off of Michael Thomas to actually sell him right now. But I don't know if I can pull the trigger on that type of you know, transaction. Cause I don't, if whoever I'm getting back, I, there's probably just as much unknown with that player. And mm-hmm. I'm, I really, I don't really like to be in the business of selling away my best players like at all. Like it's like fantasy is such a week to week sport anyway, that if I have a guy who's producing now and it seems like that's going to continue for the most part, like I'm going to just kind of write it out. Uh, that's just the type of player I am. But it, do you guys think maybe I'm underthinking this and that once Ingram comes back, it's possible that, that plus all these other factors might, you know, make Thomas's value go down going forward. We're, we're completely off the rails at this point, but would you, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm asking is, would you sell Michael Thomas right now based upon everything we've talked about? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, in the past when I've tried to kind of sell high on guys, it often doesn't work out. Like I'm, I'm uh, not getting all the, you know, he keeps being good and I'm stuck with someone who was maybe underperforming and continues to underperform. So there's always, that kind of risk when you're trying to sell high, I guess. I mean, the other thing about today, he had 10 targets and Kamara had 20. So I think it's more likely Kamara doesn't see 20 targets going forward. So there might even be some room for, you know, Thomas maybe won't regress as much as uh, we're thinking, even with Meredith back, even if they were Traquan in. But, you know, if you take a little from Thomas, a little from Kamara, a little from Ginn, I think he could still be, still get the volume and still still be really good. So yeah, I don't think I, I'd be selling either. I can't see why you want to sell Michael Thomas either. I, I agree with you. There's no reason to sell him. You said it's a very week-to-week sport. That's very true. Even with Ingram coming back, it doesn't necessarily mean that their defense is suddenly magically good again. If you go to the road of his game splits app, you'll see how game script sensitive 
Ingram's usage really is, especially now that Kamara's in the fold. And if they're, you know, coughing up 14 plus points and they find themselves in the hole all that often, all that means is Ingram's just going to find himself on the bench all the time. He's not the kind of, you know, talent that either Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara are. So really, if this defense continues to underperform, all that means is if you took Mark Ingram in the fourth or the fifth round, there's a very real possibility he's just not going to be on the field very much. Yeah, I've got him in SFB. I'm really worried about that. It, the the defensive matchups that he's going to face when he comes back are kind of terrifying, too. There, there's a lot of reason to fade Mark Ingram right now, although we'll see when he comes back, I guess. Jordy Nelson caught six of eight targets for 173 yards and a touchdown in the Raiders' Week 3 loss to the Dolphins. Shit, no, this totally took me surprise. It took me by surprise. Miami rated pretty well against wide receivers entering week three, but I guess that's probably more about the quarterbacks that they faced in weeks one and two because they got, you know, Mariota and Gabbert in week one and they got Sam Darnold. Still, I didn't think that Derek Carr this week was all that much better, and I expected him to kind of key in on Amari Cooper just like he did last week. And I don't know, this is an interesting situation because, like, Jared Cook was featured in week one, Amari was featured in week two, and now Jordy goes bananas in week three. I don't really know how to read this Raiders offense. Do you think that this thing with the Raiders where one particular player gets an abnormal work share is by design from John Gruden? Do you think we need to account for this or try to predict this type of usage going forward? Because it seems like he might just be that crazy, you know what I mean? Where he's like, this week we're only going to throw to Jared Cook. And it's <laughs> if it works, it works. You know, I am I crazy for, for thinking about it this way? Because it's, it's just been so strange through three weeks. Yeah, yeah that makes true. a weird amount of sense. But uh, how would, uh, you know, hard to get inside his mind, I guess. So I don't know if it's that helpful for fantasy to even think that that's going on. I, I wonder if he's really just attacking teams where they're – the weakest, right? Like, we know the Rams are weak against the tight end because of how strong their corners are. So yeah, tight end not... Mike Williams proved that today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, with... I, I don't know how Amari went 10 for 10 against Denver in Denver, but this it looks like they sacrificed Amari to... Xavier Howard, uh, it's very impressive that Xavier Howard has taken this massive step forward. He completely locked down Amari Cooper, and I, I don't know the name of the cornerback that's across from him that just got completely r- roasted and just ruined by the corpse of Jordy Nelson, but here we are. Yeah, if you look at the adjusted target numbers from the first two weeks um, from Football Outsiders, there were 11 adjusted targets per game to the wide receiver one. Uh, but only 5.1 to the wide receiver two and 4.5 to the wide receiver three. So those wide receiver two and three numbers are both below the league average in terms of adjusted targets, but the the wide receiver one numbers are like well above it. And so does that mean that like, and, and it's it's funny because like they don't really explain to you how they track that and, and delineate between which players specifically the wide receiver one, which is the wide receiver two. But it probably has to do with where they line up more than anything. Like, I think typically the way they track is the wide receiver three is the slot receiver. Uh, the wide receiver one is the X. And I, and so I guess maybe that does make sense that Jordy Nelson performed well in this in this matchup. And maybe that's the type of receiver we need to look at going forward against Miami. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, like you said, I don't totally 
understand how uh, Football Outsiders does those delineations, so it's uh, it's uh, hard to really say much about that, but that's an interesting thought. Yeah, and that's also something that, as you mentioned earlier, it's difficult to tell with Miami because they haven't faced two very good quarterbacks, and it's debatable whether Carr is actually good or not. He's not. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll see how this trend continues when the Dolphins go to face Oh, the New England Patriots in Foxborough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but see, that's so different, too, because they have Gronk, and the running backs yeah. catch so many passes in that offense. But you're, it will be interesting to see how they defend, like, Gordon versus Chris Hogan. And will Edelman be back for that game? Or does he have one more game to sit out? That would be his final game that he's sitting out. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I can't wait for that one. Man, that'll be interesting. Randall Cobb got 4 of 11 targets for 23 yards in the Packers' Week 3 loss to the Washington Redskins. Uh, no shit. Um, Washington rated really well in DVOA against the pass. And I keep bringing this up because DVOA is like the primary driver of that game flobotics uh, thing that I do that you mentioned at the top of the show. But um, the Redskins were 7th overall and top 11 against all different receiver types. Uh, they ranked especially well against short throws, 3rd uh, in the NFL, and against throws to the middle of the field, second in the NFL. So the way to attack Washington through the air was with Geronimo Allison, and that's what they did. Uh, But to be honest, they probably should have put more emphasis on the run because that's where the Washington defense really struggles. Um, I'm not surprised that Cobb had a rough game here because the Washington defense is is set up to, to defend him well. Giovanni Bernard rushed 12 times for 61 yards and a touchdown and caught five of nine targets for 25 yards in the Bengals' Week 3 loss to Carolina. Yeah, no shit. Bernard currently has the running back job all to himself, and even when A.J. Green is on the field, that Cincinnati receiving core isn't really deep enough to displace Bernard from a pass-heavy game script. Like You might see some games where if the team has to throw a lot, the receivers are so good that they don't really throw to the back out of the backfield, but we know that Bernard's a good receiver. Uh, We know that, you know, the Bengals aren't super deep at wide receiver and tight end, so he's going to stay involved kind of regardless of game script. And as long as Mixon is out, that means Bernard is going to be valuable. I, I really like him going forward for the next, you know, it might just be one week. It might be zero weeks. We, we don't know. Mixon could be back this week. Who knows? I'm really hoping Giovanni Bernard keeps this role for one more week because it'd be great to see him uh, get all the work, especially the receiving work against the Atlanta Falcons who just, just cough up receptions to the running back. Yep. Wendell Smallwood rushed 10 times for 56 yards and a touchdown while catching three of five targets for 35 yards in Sunday's Week 3 win over the Colts. Shit, no, I didn't see this. I was on Corey Clement. Uh, This Eagles backfield might be kind of like the Jaguars. It could just be a mess going forward for fantasy owners to sort through. I'm, and I mean, Smallwood isn't that good either, so I I don't necessarily know if you want to be super excited about picking him up off the waiver wire or anything like that because... Even though he got the usage, he got the touchdown this week. If you, I mean, if Jai comes back next week, like, does he just disappear altogether? I, do you want to spend fab on that type of player? I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, the uh, Eagles actually do a pretty good job of rotating their backs. It seems like they're one of the teams that's fairly agnostic uh, in terms of running back talent and evaluation. They will just play the guy as they need to and just rotate them in and out as needed. And as you mentioned, I just wonder how what that means really for JGI because 
they've said repeatedly he's our workhorse and we're going to go right back to him but it just seems like that's just not going to happen Javorius Allen rushed six times for seven yards and a touchdown and caught three passes for 19 yards and another score in the Ravens' Week 3 win over the Broncos. Uh, no shit. Allen has been Baltimore's primary goal linebacker since last season. This is nothing new. Calvin Ridley corralled seven of eight targets for 146 yards and three touchdowns while gaining nine yards on his lone carry on Sunday in the Falcons' Week 3 loss to the Saints. This is a shit no for me. I didn't see this coming at all. I was more in on Tevin Coleman. I thought he was going to have a big game in this particular spot, but this is something we have to pay attention to. Like maybe, I, maybe this should have been a no, a no shit uh, for me, but I, I don't know. It, it seems like this is something that could be a trend, right? As defense is key on Julio Jones, that's going to open up stuff for the other receivers. Uh, you know, before all they had was Muhammad Sanu, who is not that great. And Austin Hooper, who I'm pretty sure is just, completely mediocre and replacement level at tight end. Like he might be a little bit better than that. He's still pretty young. I shouldn't write him off this soon, but just based upon what he can do right now, like it seems like Ridley is the player that they've needed for like three years. And like ever since they lost Roddy white. Um, so I, I, I think I'm buying into this going forward, but I was not expecting a big Calvin Ridley day. He destroyed me in a couple DFS head to heads today. I was not excited about that. So I actually did get Calvin Ridley onto a few DFS lineups. Uh, the problem is I can't remember exactly what I was thinking when I put him in there. So it must have been pretty bad process. So I'm not even going to pretend like I am predicting this kind of game. I obviously thought uh, something something was going on there. But no, uh, I mean, it was I, earlier I think, in the week, and I can't remember now. <laughs> you probably did have good process. I mean, you look at the over-under on the game. You look at the fact that it has potential to shoot out because they're playing the Saints. And, I, I mean, there, again, there aren't that many options in Atlanta. And if you kind of just throw a few darts at one guy, throw a few darts at another guy, you, you're going to end up with maybe a little bit of Austin Hooper, a little bit of Calvin Ridley, a lot of Julio Jones, um, a lot of Saints players. But I, I think the fact that you got there at all is, is good process, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, maybe. Christian Kirk caught seven of eight targets for 90 yards in Sunday's Week 3 loss to the Bears. Shit, no. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I had no feel for the the Cardinals' offense whatsoever. I still don't really have any feel for it because it sounds like or it looks like they're going to be making a quarterback change to Josh Rosen going forward. I I don't know. I mean, Christian Kirk got a lot of hype in the preseason and in rookie drafts, but I, based upon the way that the Cardinals had played through the first couple of weeks, I wasn't really ready to project him as, you know, any sort of usable fantasy asset. And I wouldn't be surprised if next week he goes back to having like four targets and two catches. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see uh, whether or not Josh Rosen is going to be like every other rookie. Is he going to be able to sustain the kind of, fantasy production that we need, especially from the wide receiver position uh, with Larry Fitzgerald there. And now that they're trying to work in David Johnson a little bit more as an actual receiver, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, he was actually pretty good at that in 2016, right? (laughs) (laughs) The survey says yes. (laughs) So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see whether or not Rosen's going to be talented enough to actually hold these guys up uh, you know we, we saw Mayfield we've we've seen a little bit of Darnold we saw Josh Allen it'll be interesting to see how these rookies are able to sustain or maintain uh, whether or not the uh, 
the players that they're actually funneling the ball to are capable of having big fantasy days. And I just am not a believer. I'm sorry, I'm not a believer in Mike McCoy's offense or whatever he, you know, he likes to call it. It's just it's a very turgid. It's a slow offense. They played Bates up today. But that still didn't mean that there were a lot of points to be had. Maybe it's because Chicago's defense is good, but it'll be interesting to see what they do next week because this offense is, you know, it tried to not play football for the first two games, and even today they've just not been good. That is a big takeaway, though. The Bears' defense is awesome. Like, they're probably a top-five defense or a top-five matchup you want to avoid going forward, right? Like, I don't really want to start quarterbacks against the Bears defense. Uh, and, you know, by proxy, that means that I'm going to be lower on receivers going up, up against them too. Are, are you guys on the same page with, with the Bears defense? Without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. It's good. Uh, they face Tampa Bay next week. So good week for Winston to come back. <laughs> hey, if, 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 if Fitzpatrick rolls through on Monday night, man, it's, it's, that's going to be the week that we know it's coming. I drafted so much Jameis Winston in two quarterback formats, and I thought I was so smart doing it as like my QB three because he was so cheap. And I, in those leagues now, I just I probably don't have a third quarterback. I'm gonna yeah. be spending so much. I tweeted about this earlier. I'm gonna be bidding so much fab on CJ Beathard this week. It's gonna be so <laughs> sad. Alvin Kamara totaled 66 yards on 16 carries while corralling 15 of 20 targets for an additional 124 yards in the Saints' Week 3 win over the Falcons. I mean, no shit Alvin Kamara's good, but shit no on 20 targets. Like, 20 targets for a running back? Like, wide receivers don't even get that many targets. That's insane. Mike Williams caught four of seven targets for 81 yards and two touchdowns in the Chargers' Week 3 loss to the Rams. No shit. I alluded to this earlier, but Jared Cook showed us this blueprint. I mean, Mike Williams is effectively the tight end on the Chargers. And I mean, say what you will about Virgil Green and Antonio Gates. Like Antonio Gates probably shouldn't be, but he's tried to retire so many times. Tried to retire so many times. Like <laughs> I, I wish they would just let Mike Williams have all those targets. Uh, but yeah, I think you could have seen this coming based upon how you want to attack the Rams defense. Yeah, I mean that's. The thing about Mike Williams, I, just going back to his combine, and uh, you know, just a sh- shout out to JJ Zacharyson and Danny Carter for their dad runner thing. But Mike Williams' dad ran that forty, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you know, by all intents and purposes, like you said, he really is, by and large, like a, a glorified tight end. I think we know kind of what to do, especially from a DFS and streaming tight end perspective going forward. We're getting a pretty good idea. And uh, I, I think uh, it'll pr- help me avoid, at the very least, these uh, tight end streaming pitfalls uh, like I did today. Yeah, I think the one word of caution I would throw out to people who might be considering that, you know, hey, I'm going to start streaming tight ends against the Rams defense all the time, is that you, you probably still want that tight end to be tethered to a competent quarterback. And so when Phillip Rivers is throwing to Mike Williams, like that makes sense. And again, we're, we're using the, t- the term tight end loosely when it comes to Mike Williams because technically he's a wide receiver when you put him in your lineups. But um, if you're looking for that type of player, I don't necessarily know if I want to be using that type of player against the Rams unless, you know, there's a good quarterback who can get that person the ball. You know what I mean? Yeah, you definitely might want to double think this uh, if, for example, you don't want to be streaming Jake Butter, Jeff Hewerman against uh, the Rams uh, in week four. Five against the Bron- uh, week six against the Broncos or George Kittle with C.J. Beathard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Will Fuller caught five of twelve targets for 101 yards and a touchdown in week three against the Giants. 
Fuller is now averaging more than 10 targets per game in 2018. Yeah, no shit. Um, Fuller pretty much has to be that type of target hog because who else is Deshaun Watson going to throw to? Uh, Bruce Ellington has already reverted to his you know, homeostasis, his standard state of being injured. Um, I guess that Kiki QT, who you mentioned earlier, could come in and start to steal some targets. But I, I don't see why we should try to second guess the chemistry that Watson and Fuller have shown us. Um, Hopkins is still one of the best receivers in football. He's going to continue to get a bunch of targets. But outside of him, like, Fuller's the guy. I, I think that Fuller's going to be fine. Yeah, I think this... Houston receiving game is going to be very concentrated between these two guys. Fuller's that big play threat. I know Blair's a very big Will Fuller fan. He actually was the guy who got me on to Fuller this offseason. So I'm very optimistic about him going forward. Yeah, I, I definitely love this, of course. And, it, you know, with the targets being so concentrated, it really, if you own Hopkins and Fuller on the same team it makes it easy to start them i in fact stacked them both with deshaun watson and dfs today and uh you know cashed in uh, uh min cash in tournaments but nothing big min cash is better than no cash that's right want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league well look no further and download squad ql the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year squad ql recommends the best starting lineup for you based on each week, based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool, you may ask, how does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster and your league scoring settings. SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus the app gives you player rankings each week, and it's based on your league settings. Squad SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. Head to SquadQL.com to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy football manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android. All right, moving on to news item number three. Cardinals coach Steve Wilkes wouldn't commit to Sam Bradford starting in week four. Uh, Bradford was benched in the fourth quarter after three turnovers, but Josh Rosen struggled in relief throwing an interception and a pick six that was called back. So, Greg, who do you think will be starting in week four? Do you think that the eventual transition to Rosen could kind of help get this offense working again? I mean, because they made the shift in game, you have to kind of expect that they're going to use Rosen going forward. We know he's the future of the franchise. Uh, quarterbacks that are drafted as highly as he was uh, in the NFL draft typically start a lot of games in year one like uh, th that was the argument for baker mayfield over tyrod taylor in seasonal leagues uh you know i think number one overall qb picks start an average of 13 and a half games or something like that and top 10 quarterbacks it's like 12.4 games in year one so the writing was on the wall that rosen was going to be the quarterback eventually and so now that they've made the switch in the middle of a game it makes sense i think just to start him the next week so i expect rosen to be in there uh can he get the offense back on track i'm much more skeptical of that uh i th that offensive line is such a mess it's it's one of the worst in football and that's something that i really come to value with quarterbacks and especially with bad to mediocre quarterbacks like aaron Rodgers and russell wilson can succeed if their offensive lines aren't very good because they're really good players for a young guy like rosen who's still you know learning how to play in the nfl putting him behind an, a bad offensive line is a recipe for disaster. So I'm, I, if anything, I think it, it might hurt David Johnson's value even more. Now 
it's hard to say because David Johnson was already underperforming pretty heavily. Uh, so that might be the reason for them to go back to Bradford or to stick with Bradford for one more week and see if he can turn it around. But I'm, I'm really afraid of owning any piece of this offense. And I don't think that Josh Rosen is the answer. I think uh, a better offensive line is the answer and they're not going to get that in the middle of the year. That's just not happening. Yeah, this is actually one of the teams that I've been following uh, on a weekly basis in the NFC version of the Zero RB report. And in the first two uh, editions, uh, you, you know, I, I wrote about and I commented on how this team just played with a lack of pace. Uh, in week one, they barely ran any plays over the first three quarters, and they actually almost doubled their pace in the fourth quarter alone. And in week two, they just didn't play at all. They just It looked like they just don't care about the sport of football uh, and like greg mentioned this this offensive line is it's a complete it's a complete disaster i'm genuinely going to be very worried about uh david johnson they're still not throwing to him as much as you need hopefully we get more check downs to him i don't know I, I just like i mentioned earlier i do not trust this mike mccoy offense they've had nine months to implement something that actually maximizes David Johnson's ability as a receiver, they couldn't figure it out in one week. I don't think they can figure it out in another week. This is going to take an entire offseason. If you hold David Johnson in Dynasty, do not sell. But there's just no light at the end of this tunnel. Are you trying to sell in redraft if you own him? And you know what would you be willing to give him up for? I don't think I own him anywhere in redraft but at this point. Lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Yeah, tell me about it. I I was fortunate to not get any of those top uh, top picks. Uh, you honestly probably want to be moving him for someone like a Will Fuller. I just <laughs> I just can't think of anyone who would like who you think realistically you could actually get for David Johnson. I mean, if you own him, you're probably unless you're somehow supremely stacked in traditional redraft, you're probably looking at a what. Uh, Probably 0-2 here, maybe 0-3, and, and if everything broke poorly for you, in which case you're kind of in that panic mode where you got to start looking for trading away your ones for twos that are just these longer upside shots in an attempt to like salvage whatever you have of the fantasy season. But if you're looking at a team that somehow struggled to 2-1 and one with David Johnson and people see that, who do you think you could realistically get back in exchange for... Uh, for DJ, would it be something like a Julian Edelman plus another Tyler Boyd? That was immediately where my mind went was to go after somebody who's still still suspended, like go after Ingram or Edelman or even Le'Veon Bell, who I mean, who isn't suspended but might come back eventually, plus yeah. another piece, like a, a you know, lesser wide receiver or something like that. But I think you kind of just have to hold him and hope that the volume eventually gets there, uh, especially if you are in a PPR format like. If Rosen gets under center, even with Bradford under center, like if if Johnson can just start to rack up those targets a little bit more consistently, then he he should start to return at least like baseline value, borderline value, where he's getting you, you know, 10 to 15 points just based on volume alone. Uh, I I don't know what you could get for him because I don't know who wants to buy him right now. It's it's not really a seller's market for David Johnson, unfortunately. Right, yeah, you just go down with the ship. I mean, this is just this is how it goes, and uh, sometimes how it goes, right? Like the people keep comparing this to Todd Gurley's down 2016, and that's probably what we're headed towards. Yeah, but I think unlike 
Gurley, there's well, no, that actually is a pretty good comparison. Never mind. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh maybe trying to get Will Fuller for him, and I'm thinking like if I own Will Fuller and someone offers me David Johnson for Will Fuller, am I accepting that? And uh that's like a tough call. I don't think I am. Bit of a tough seller's market, you called it. What about one of like the Detroit receivers? Because with Will Fuller, we talked about how his usage is so predictable that he's he's probably just going to hold that value. But if you're trying to like, would you trade him for Marvin Jones or Golden Tate mm-hmm. or Kenny Galladay? Because I think it's going to be harder to predict those guys week to week, and maybe you can leverage that to some extent. Like, is that a deal that you think could get done? Galladay is kind of ascending. I, I think people are going to overvalue him. Golden Tate, you might be able to do a one-for-one swap. Uh, I have, you know, Maybe something Marvin Jones plus a Mark Ingram sounds like it could be a pretty good deal if someone has that kind of uh, roster configuration. What do you think on that one? Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I think targeting, yes. One of those... Other like some other running back like if you're trying to get a running back back in the deal like if you're if you're basically trying to swap David Johnson for two lesser pieces going after someone like Ingram who has some warts like uh, I'm trying to think of like name especially if you're in PPR maybe you go after a running back who doesn't have that sort of PPR upside like Marshawn Lynch or I'm trying to think of other good examples but nothing's really coming to mind but that type of player where you're only going to get like that kind of rushing production and maybe some touchdown upside. And Mm -hmm. hopefully your trade partner will talk themselves into David Johnson as, you know, his target share going up, him seeing more receptions and starting to produce that way. But again, like the more we try to like figure out ways to get rid of David Johnson, the more (laughs) I kind of realize it's like, well, I might as well just hold him at that point. Because if, if I'm convincing somebody else that this stuff is going to happen, like, Shouldn't I just be able to convince myself? Like, if if the deal is right, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm with you. I just can't see anything that makes sense. I was going to ask you about rookie RBs, but like, you know, this class is through three weeks. Outside of Barkley, we're sitting on not a very particularly robust class. I mean, Chris Carson completely crushed Dallas's soul. Uh, and Benny did absolutely nothing. So, you, you know, there's just no way I could convince someone else to say, well, go trade Chris, you know, David Johnson, go get one of those rookie RBs and try for a mid-range wide receiver. It's just not going to, it's just not going to happen. It just sounds like a terrible return. <laughs> yep. Mario K.K. Butt of the Cleveland Plain Dealer reports Baker Mayfield will be named the Browns' starting quarterback on Monday. Greg, how do you expect Baker Mayfield's rookie season will play out going forward? Who will be the major beneficiaries on this offense? And do you think he can actually finish as a QB1 this season? So on like a points per game basis, I think he could probably get there. Uh, he's he's really good. Like he probably should have been starting from week one. Um, I drafted him a little bit as like a QB3 in some deep super flex leagues. And I'm pretty excited to own him there. Uh, but Yeah, I think losing Josh Gordon takes a little bit of the shine off this, but they still have Jarvis Landry. Antonio Callaway looks pretty good, although he's been a little Jekyll and Hyde so far. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for the Baker Mayfield experience. I'm I'm optimistic that he's going to perform well going forward. Um, Certainly better than some of the other you know bad quarterbacks we've talked about here. Like I definitely rather have him than either of the Arizona guys. Like I don't think that's even close. Um, I might even rather have him than Derek Carr. Uh, Darnold, I, I would rather have. I would still rather have Mayfield over Darnold. Like, 
I'd have to look at like rest of the season rankings, but I'm optimistic for Mayfield going forward. I think it's only going to be good for the offense. I think probably the biggest beneficiary we're going to see is David Njoku. He's been getting the targets, except they've been Tyrod Taylor targets. And when you improve the quality of the quarterback play, I think that that's going to mean, you know, more catchable passes, uh, more, you know, deep passes from Mayfield uh, going to Njoku and, I saw him get dropped in a few leagues. I, I think people aren't aren't really starting him anymore because he's been bad. I mean, or at least he hasn't produced well. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest buying opportunity going forward here is in Joku uh, with with the addition of Mayfield to that uh, quarterback or as a QB one. Yeah, I like that call on Joku. That's one of the first names that came to mind too of one of the major beneficiaries here. The other guy I'm thinking might be Duke Johnson because uh, we saw just. A ton of times, Taylor either, you know, taking off to run rather than checking down or just taking a sack rather than checking down to Johnson. Um, it's does, been kind does, of frustrating to be a Duke Johnson owner and not. I didn't see realize he still played. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he might not be on the field that much. That's true. Um, Sorry, well, I interrupted you. That was just a Duke Johnson dig because they haven't been using him. It's been really weird because and I don't know if it's just because Nick Chubb is there now, but. Can you explain why Duke Johnson hasn't been used like that? Because it wasn't like Tyrod was afraid to throw the ball to LaShawn McCoy necessarily. It seemed like Duke Johnson would have lined up really well with what he did, and he should line up well with what Mayfield does, like you said. I, yeah, but at the same time, just the lack of usage through two games or three games, I should say, is is a little bit concerning. I, I'm a little worried about Johnson even with the, the quarterback change. I yeah, that's a, that, good, a good point on McCoy that – you know, we've seen Taylor kind of use his pass catching running back before. So, I don't mean, you know, I don't know if, how creative Buffalo really was last year, but it could be a coaching thing, I guess. Although, I mean, you know, Johnson's usage from last year was was awesome. And that was kind of what I was hoping for more of this year. So definitely a disappointment to see um, see what he's done through three games. And I'm hopeful Mayfield can turn that around. Now, I wrote in the Week 16 Bylaw report that you got to get out from under Duke Johnson. He had his best season. Uh, you know, he had his best season. He just completely wrecked it. He was kind of TD dependent, a little bit more so than just cash dependent. He was didn't really have. I mean, Isaiah Crowell kind of lost the trust of that coaching staff. You know, so you've got Duke who's able to come in. They didn't have a target hog, actually good wide receiver who succeeds at all depths like Jarvis Landry. You know, there was a lot going for Duke Johnson in last year's Browns' offense. It just isn't there in this year's Browns' offense. Um, couple that with the fact that the Browns' new OC actually historically typically rides his running backs. He just works them in in all phases of the game. It just is one of those moments where you're looking at Duke Johnson kind of as a third wheel. And even when you're looking at that extension that he signed, when you get into the nitty-gritty of his contract, it's a terrible contract even for as far as extensions go. And, you know, I, I know don't pay running backs or whatever, even by that standard is bad. So, you know, you're looking at a guy who's more of a very nice to have as opposed to need to have. And maybe if Mayfield's, uh, you know, not really looking to check down and he finds a, Jarvis Landry is a safer option, but you're able to get a handful of more yards as opposed to checking down all the way to Duke Johnson, who's just, Looks like he's running through mud, if you ask me. I mean, when you watch him on tape, which isn't a particularly Rotovisian thing to say, but, you know, here we are. 
that's just kind of what, what you're getting. And with, you know, Duke John, uh, with uh, Jarvis Landry and David Njoku able to create yak and be attractive targets in the middle of the field, uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, one thing that I wanted to point out, we were, you know, gushing over Mahomes. Well, you know, Baker Mayfield and Mahomes shared a, the field for a hot second before Baker left for OU. We're going to get that in handful of weeks here going forward uh, Sunday November 4th you're going to get Kansas City at Cleveland are you guys going to be are you guys pretty excited about that oh yeah totally uh, yeah. Not, I mean you know Cleveland's defense has actually kind of looked decent this year so you know maybe not as uh, high scoring a game as we've come to expect from from Mahomes but yeah it should be good yeah, I mean, I look forward to every game that Patrick Mahomes plays, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm in on Baker too. So yeah, that'll be fun. I that I'll I'll be tuning into that one for sure. All right, well that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest Greg Smith. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on iTunes and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast.